Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast. I created this podcast along with my blog and brand to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life. I truly believe that we all have the power to live a life we love, and to do so, it's so important to be in tune with ourselves and be open to growing and evolving. I believe that once we can trust ourselves and our vision, that's when we can thrive. So with this podcast, I plan to discuss all things to do with self-reflection, personal growth, mindsets, and self-belief, all aspects that affect us in our everyday life. If you feel connected to my message and want to listen more often, I will be sharing one podcast a week, so make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's episode. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe. I'm really trying to hopefully just bring some light into your week with whatever you're doing. I hope you can take something away while you're listening to this. And I always want to know what kind of guests you want to hear on the show, what topics interest you. Please feel free to let me know. All my info will be in the description of this episode. So with that said, I want to get right into introducing this week's guest. Her name is Amy Fish. Amy is the Chief Complaints Officer at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. She's responsible for promoting fairness and making sure everyone's voice is heard. With Amy's work, she teaches, speaks, and writes about how to complain effectively, which basically means standing up for yourself and asking for what you need. Amy is the author of the book, I Wanted Fries With That, How to Ask for What You Want and Get What You Need. She also teaches writing workshops and specializes in humor, writing, and memoir. So in this episode, we basically focus on the topics that she discusses in the book, which have to do with asking for what you want, not feeling bad for it, not being passive aggressive, being clear about what you need, and also learning to listen to others and be there for them when they ask for what they want. And so there are so many great takeaways from this episode. We also touch on ways to virtually ask for what you want with everything going on and people working from home. You know, there's so many ways that conversations can be misread. So Amy gives great tips on how to effectively communicate and ask for what you need. So you can follow Amy at Amy Fish Writes on Instagram, and you can also visit her website, amyfishwrites.com, which I will include the links to in the description of this episode. So I hope you enjoy this interview. There's so many great takeaways I think everyone will benefit from. So with that said, please enjoy this interview with Amy. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Tara. Of course. So can you start off telling us a little about yourself and what you do? Sure. My name is Amy Fish, and I'm the author of I Wanted Fries With That, How to Ask for What You Want and Get What You Need, which is a book about how to stand up for yourself and how to complain effectively. And I wrote that book because my day job is as the ombudsperson at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. Amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write your book? I believe that a lot of people want to complain effectively and want to stand up for ourselves, but we're not sure how to do it. And so I wrote the book for everybody who walks away saying, oh, I should have said that. Oh, I should have asked that. And kind of second guesses how they could have used their voice in a better way, in a more 
more effective way to get the outcome they wanted. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's something you struggled with in your own life, whether that is in the professional world or in your personal life, just kind of feeling like you didn't have the right words to say and regretting maybe not saying something you wanted to? You know, it's funny. I'm a person who this came very naturally for. I was always able to stand up for myself and to ask for things. And I realized at a certain point that that was a gift that not everyone had. And that I can use that in my professional life and also as the writer and as a speaker to kind of share the message and help other people find their way. For me, the first time I noticed that it was um, something that came naturally was a story I tell in the book about how I went to get a Subway sandwich and the lettuce looked brown. And there was a long line. And I said to the person making the sandwich, does this lettuce look brown to you? And she looked down at it and she said, yeah, it does look kind of, it looks brown. And she went and got a fresher batch of of lettuce. And I thought, this is not only good for me, but for every single person in line behind me, they're going to have fresher lettuce now because I spoke up. And I thought, you know what? I can do this. I can do this for people, even if it's small things like lettuce or bigger things like asking for a raise. Mm-hmm. And that's so important because it may sound like a small thing, but that connects to so many different parts of our lives. Like if we can't ask for fresh lettuce, then who knows what else we won't be asking for. And so I'm curious, like with your research and writing your book, um, what have you noticed with people who don't ask for what they want? Maybe they don't, they're not as similar to you in that way. So why do you think many people struggle to simply ask for what they want in general? Um, I think a lot of us don't know what we want. I think a lot of us want to be liked and we want to be nice and we're afraid that if we ask for something, people aren't going to like us or we won't be kind. And what I want to say to those people is it is possible to have needs and wants and still be a nice person. You can have preferences. You can want your lettuce green. You could want that parking spot. There are things you could want and you can still do it in the nicest possible way so that it won't impact how much people like you or how you're perceived by others. In fact, you'll be doing everyone a favor because you'll be making the world a better place for all of us. That can look different for everyone. So I think some people are just really nice and they won't say something or some people are just passive aggressive and then they're upset when they don't get what they want. What do you think are some of the negative consequences of just being passive aggressive and not being clear about one's needs? Well, I think One thing that frightens me, and I've seen this a lot in my practice, is that people will keep their comments themselves, and then one day they'll just blow. So I had somebody who who I met um, at a talk I was giving, and her husband was very sick. He was in the hospital, and the doctor was rude to her, and she didn't speak up. And for 17 years, this was boiling up inside of her. And when she told the story, she said she hasn't slept through the night since. And that's a negative consequence to me because had she dealt with it at the time, had she reported the physician for being rude, had she placed a complaint with the healthcare facility, there are a bunch of things she could have done, then she wouldn't have carried this baggage around with her sitting, weighted on her chest for years and years and years and years and years. And I think that's a real negative consequence of not speaking up. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's mostly people pleasers? Because I know for myself, I grew up being a people pleaser and the nice girl in quotes. And 
I always like would avoid that kind of conflict. I wouldn't want to send my food back, little things like that. And I've definitely changed over time, but that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with, not wanting to be seen as bossy or too much or bitchy or, you know. So um, is that something you've experienced? And how do you think someone can get over that fear of being judged for that? I agree with you 100%. Yes, I think so many of us are people pleasers, and we don't want to send something back. And we have to remember that it's like I, I've said, it's not you're not only doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for everybody else who's going to order that number one. And number two, it is possible to send something back in a very gentle way, and say something like, I'm not sure if I order a decaf tea, but I meant to order an Earl Grey tea. So it might be my mistake. But is there any way I could get blah, 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 blah. Like there's a way yes. to do it. That's very, very gentle. Or, um, you know, I might have bought my ticket incorrectly. I thought I bought it for the 430 train. This ticket says the 330 train, I really need to leave at 430. Is there any way you can help me out getting what you want, but you're not having a confrontation or an argument in any way. Mm hmm. And like you said, I think it's very easy for people to see the extremes in their minds. Like I assume either you're starting conflict and it's it's being aggressive or you're being too nice. And I think you don't people don't realize that you can have that middle ground and you don't have to be rude about it. And so I want to talk about complaining now because I know um, you discussed that the whole idea of complaining effectively, because I think a lot of people just complain about what they want or they're not even really asking for anything. So how would you describe complaining effectively? Well, complaining effectively is complaining for results. And so one of the examples in my book, I wanted fries with that, is somebody who there's construction and the construction people leave their debris out on the street and a grandparent trips and gets hurt. And so what does the family do? They take to social media and they're tweeting, they're Facebooking, they're Instagramming, they're doing everything except actually calling the city and having the debris removed. And that to me is a classic example of ineffective complaining, because even though you're getting the attention and the shares and the likes, and in this story, the media even came and you had TV cameras there to actually get the situation cleaned up, you have to go to the source and to the root of the problem. And in this case, the family didn't do that. You see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. that's the difference between just complaining to each other and complaining effectively to create change. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. I think a lot of people, even just the example of sending food back, they complained about it not being right, but then they say, no, no, whatever, I'll keep it. I've seen that before. And it's like, okay, so what's the point? You just want this person to be aware, I guess, but also make them feel bad. But then you're not getting necessarily what you want. So I don't know, I get confused sometimes when I see people react in that way. Going to the professional side of this. So what are some tips you have maybe on dealing with conflict, whether it's small or big in the professional world for someone who doesn't even know where to start? I think the first place to start with conflict is to use your ears first and listen. And so if you have a conflict with someone, let's say at work, let's say it's a coworker, the first thing you want to do is listen to what the conflict is and ask a lot of questions. So if somebody comes to you and says, um, Amy, your workplace isn't clean. I need you to clean your desk. My first reaction is to defend myself. Well, I'm busy. I'm working all the time. I don't have time to. But instead of doing that, we need to break into two, receiving the complaint 
and responding to the complaint. So the first thing we want to do is understand the nature of the conflict, and we do that by listening and by asking as many questions as we can. My desk isn't clean enough. Which part is bothering you? What do you want me to clean? Are you upset about my recycling bin? Are you upset about the state of my cubicle? Is it the posters that I have up? What is bothering you and why is this a problem? Gently, but to try and uncover as much information as we can to understand where the conflict takes place. That's the first thing. And then no matter what the person says, our answer is, thank you for telling me. You've given me a lot to think about. And then you go back and you prepare your response calmly. Mm-hmm. I think that's such great advice because it's so easy for people to get defensive and not really listen. And if anything, I think most of us jump to thinking of what we're going to say next, that we're not really listening to what the person needs or what they're trying to tell us. And so have you noticed that this has to do with confidence or not taking things personally because easier said than done to uh, not take things personally in that case when someone is complaining or um, giving you some criticism and so what is your advice on not taking it as personally looking at it for just what it is and respecting that person my advice is to just shift immediately into data collection mode and think to myself i want to get as much information out of this encounter as i can and that because so many of us tend to make it into a catastrophe, like, oh, my God, this is a disaster. Um, my boss doesn't like my handwriting. And now it's going to be a big problem and I'm going to lose my job. And I except that if you stop to think about it, your boss might have just said, I couldn't read the post that you left on my desk. Right. It might be a very small thing. So before we start blowing things really up in our minds, we really have to get ourselves into data collection. I need to get as much information as I can. And maybe this is somebody that we won't be able to get along with in the future. And maybe this will be changeable and maybe it won't be changeable. We don't know. At this point, we're just gathering information. So what I would say to people is before you start getting insulted, just press pause on yourself and just think of yourself as a detective and try and get as many clues as you can as to where this is coming from and what happened before you prepare your response and your defense. Mm -hmm. And have you noticed that um, I just want to say in general, because everyone obviously grew up in a different environment and some people maybe grew up where their parents didn't deal with conflict in front of them or they ignored it. And other people were in households where conflict was very common and they might deal with it right away. So what would you tell someone who is dealing with someone, whether that is a partner, a friend or a coworker? who doesn't want to deal with conflict in the way that they do or the way that they're used to. So for example, they want to talk about the issue right away, but the other person needs time to think. And that can obviously be frustrating. So what would you tell someone in that situation? I think that where checking in with yourself becomes so important and communicating where you're at becomes so important. And you want to look to phrases like, um, I need to express the conflict right now and I know you're not ready to hear it. So would you prefer that I wrote my points down or would you prefer that um, I just tell you what's on my mind and I wait for a response? So in that kind of situation, you might have to be a little creative because I, I'm thinking specifically about one friend I have where if she has a conflict, she has to get it off her mind right away. And maybe the other person isn't ready to hear it right then. And so she has to come up with creative solutions, like, for example, writing it down, like, for example, preparing a video or um, a one-way conversation. I'm going to tell you what's on my mind, and I know that you're not going to be able to respond for a couple of days. 
Mm -hmm. And I think that also comes with respecting people's boundaries. And so that leading into that, um, how vital do you believe it is to even just understand your own boundaries and what triggers you and what you need? Exactly. That is would be exactly my response. This is where you check in with yourself. You understand your, your boundaries. You understand your needs. And for so many of us, that could be really, really difficult. Um, we might need to set aside time to sit quietly without headphones on, without music on, and just think about why is this conflict bothering me so much? Some people might choose to journal about it. Some people might choose to go for a walk and reflect or sit in a meditation or a meditative moment and just think about what their emotional triggers or baggage or boundaries or whatever is happening with them at that moment and what is bubbling to the surface right now. Mm -hmm, Definitely. I think, you know, everything triggers something in someone without them even realizing sometimes. And so why do you think so many people, say couples, for example, or in work settings, why do you think so many people struggle to find a middle ground during conflict? It's such a good question. I I think that many of us are afraid of conflict and we right away panic. And that causes some people, like you said, depending on their upbringing or where they're from, it causes some people to start go right to 100. They're furious. They're screaming. They're out for battle. They want to win. And it causes other people to retreat like a turtle, pull into their shell and just shut down. And when you have those two people together, it really can create a problem, whether it's in the workforce, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in a friendship or a family, that can be very, very difficult. And that's why I walk people through different scenarios in the book about how to communicate and speak to each other in a way that is calm and will get you the best results. Mm-hmm. It's it's very easy to make any conflict about you and say it's I'm the one who's hurt and you're the one who's messing up and just put all the blame on someone. And so Also, how important do you believe empathy is? Like, what are your thoughts on, I know you talked about listening and how important that is, but really taking yourself out of that conflict and looking at the other person's needs and being compassionate and empathic towards them. um, What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that are, it's so important. And especially at this time now, during the Corona COVID-19 crisis, where so many people are home it's and so many people's nerves are frayed and people are concerned about losing life, losing income, losing jobs. It's such a stressful time. I think that's where being compassionate towards each other and being understanding is so crucially important. And I've been recommending to people that they imagine that they're wearing almost stuffed animal fur or a bunny suit and be as soft and as kind in their transactions as they can because tensions are so heightened. And this really highlights what you're saying about being empathetic and where possible putting yourself in the other person's shoes. I agree with you. I think that will go very long. Mm -hmm. Especially with what's happening now, we're all experiencing very similar emotions and it's very easy to think that you are the only one struggling, even if it's not during this time and think, oh, I'm the one who's having a bad day or I'm the one who's struggling and no one's really understanding my needs when we really don't know what other people are going through, of course. And so even just moving on to the virtual world right now, working from home and say you want to communicate your needs with a coworker or your boss. And it's, I think it's different over email, over Zoom, whatever you're using. So what tips would you give on effectively communicating virtually? I know it can be more difficult than maybe meeting in person. It can be. And I think there are a few things to remember. One thing to remember is that in an email, it's very 
difficult sometimes to detect tone. And so if you have to have a conversation that's a little sensitive or something you're upset about, it might be an opportunity to either save it for your next Zoom call or pick up the phone and communicate that way. Because conflict can escalate quicker in my experience over email. Sometimes jokes could be taken the wrong way or people can be offended, especially if you have to give somebody constructive feedback. I think it's better done over the phone or Skype or Zoom or FaceTime or however you communicate better than an email. So that would be my my first tip. My second tip would be think about the timing. Think about whether what you're saying really absolutely has to be communicated now or whether it can wait because some things may be um, important to us, but they might be able to wait realistically until we're back in the office or the workplace and until things are more back to quote unquote normal, whatever that will look like and whenever that will be, we know that this will pass eventually and maybe our key message can wait. So think about how you communicate and think about the timing of your message. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it can be um, misunderstood when we say, you know, um, complain effectively, where people might think, okay, that means anything that bothers me should be expressed, like complain about everything. And and we don't realize sometimes some things are not worth it and we don't even care as much. Like say, for example, you get the mustard instead of the honey mustard when you love both. (laughs) Like it's a small example, but I think it's hard for us to say, okay, I want to be clear about my, about my needs, but sometimes it's not that important or it can wait. So what advice would you give to someone who doesn't really know whether or not they should express it and they're kind of in the stuck in the middle where they can't really tell if it's something important? Um, okay. If you can't really tell if something's important, then is it really important? That would be my first question. Because normally if you have a burning need to fix something, you would know. So if take, for example, um, my boss expects me to print things out and I don't have a printer and I'm scared to tell her, if I don't tell her, it's not, the problem is not going to get resolved. The work is going to pile up and I will not have have things printed. And I said, I so that could be a very, very big problem that can't wait. In that case, I would tell the boss, listen, my printer broke. I didn't want to burden you with it, but you should know that I'm not able to print out the invoices or whatever it is right now. That would be an example of an urgent problem. But if let's say you left um, something in the fridge at work and you're worried that it's going to get spoiled and it's going to smell when you go back. I don't know that that's so urgent that it needs to be communicated right now. Mm-hmm, definitely. We talked about passive aggressiveness, but I think a lot of people see that and think they are communicating their needs. Like you may not even realize that you being passive aggressive and saying, I really wanted this, but it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> is not necessarily being honest and straightforward. And so what would you say about passive aggressiveness and how that isn't helpful at all and how we shouldn't assume that other people know what we mean or know our hints and know what we're trying to express? The best example of that I find is when you have to tell someone that they don't smell very good. And I go through this in the book as well. I talk about what to do If a friend of yours says to you, um, for example, I I keep dating people, but I can't get past the second or third date. I don't know what it is. And you know that your friend has body odor. How do you tell them? My, I think that's a good example because giving the person soap, giving the person shower gel, giving the person, that is not, that is, those are indirect messages that are not going to fix the problem. To be as direct as possible, you may have to say something to your friend like, I know you work out at the gym a lot. I'm wondering if maybe you need to change your deodorant. It's hard to be direct like that, but Mm -hmm. if you want to help your 
friend, all the indirect messages in the world are not going to help you. So you may have to consider being a little bit more direct than is comfortable. Again, I wouldn't do this over email. This to me is something that has to be done in person where possible so that you can show your empathy and your compassion. I think in terms of being passive aggressive, your, your indirect message may not get you what you want. Because your friend might be saying, hmm, I wonder if Amy's making a commission off all this shower gel that she keeps giving me. Mm-hmm. What is she? <laughs> I wonder if Amy's winning free shower gel. Like, I don't understand why she's constantly giving me soap. If I don't know that I smell bad, I'm not going to think that that's the reason. And so it's never going to get fixed until you tell me. And so you're doing me a big favor. You have to convince yourself that you're doing me a big favor because you're helping me fix a problem that no one told me about. You know, um, when I was on my book tour at one point, I had lunch with some women um, following a speech that I gave. And when we came out into the parking lot, it was a beautiful sunny day. And I went to take a selfie and I had a huge piece of spinach stuck in my teeth. And I couldn't believe that these women had taken me out for a luncheon and nobody told me that I had spinach in my teeth. And I'm sure they all thought they were being helpful, but in fact, they were being the opposite of helpful because one second of an uncomfortable, I think you have something in your teeth, would have saved me an entire luncheon and possibly, I hope not, but possibly a talk with me having something nice and bright green wedged in there. That's funny. That's a very common one. I think a lot of people think they're being really nice and considerate by not saying anything when in reality, you don't want to be walking around all day not knowing that you have food stuck in your teeth. So yeah, I think it's definitely better to bring it up for sure. Thankfully, the sun was so bright and I wanted to take a selfie in this parking lot. It was such a random um, encounter, right? But I thank God, because otherwise I would have continued my day with this giant piece of spinach. I was so annoyed. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and that that's important that, you know, you appreciate that because there are people who are extra sensitive or more sensitive and they'll take that really personally or they'll feel really embarrassed. And at the end of the day, you know, we can't control how other people react. And so what would you tell someone who maybe has some friends or loved ones who you know, they want to be honest with them, but they know that they're going to take it really personally or maybe see it in the wrong way. I think it depends what you want to tell them and whether or not it's your business. So I would start with that. If somebody, um, let's say, has a dog that they can't afford and you don't think they should have the dog and you think they're wasting money on the dog, that's none of your business. So you don't need to be the person to tell them about that because it's none of your business. If someone is a smoker, you don't need to tell them about the risk of smoking. People know that smoking isn't good for you. So you don't need to be the one telling them. I think the first thing is to evaluate, am I the best person to give this message? But let's look at it differently. If the person has spinach in their teeth and you don't tell them, then they're gonna walk around all the time with spinach in their teeth. So my first advice point would be, ask yourself if this is a message that you're the one that needs to communicate. Are you the best person to communicate this? And are you doing them a favor by communicating it? And then if the answer is yes, but you still feel embarrassed, then you have to do it in as gentle a way as possible, saying things like, Do you want to take out a mirror or take out your phone and look at your teeth? I think you might have something there. And I think that can be hard to tell, too, because sometimes what seems important to you may not be that big of a deal to someone else. So how important do you believe it is to reflect on whether or not that is something important to bring up? And how can you tell in that case when it seems really important to you? If it's important to you, 
it's, well, let's think about this. If something is important to you, for example, you ordered, um, what was your thing? Honey mustard and you got regular mustard, but you really, really wanted honey mustard. That kind of thing I would complain about and get fixed because it's a fixable problem. Okay. If it's important to me that um, my sister wears a skirt to an event, that might not be my business because my sister's a grown woman and I might want her to wear a certain thing, but it's really out of my control. So I think we have to ask ourselves whether this is in our control or not. I can't say that everything that's important to you is important and you must speak up about it, but it's everything that's important to you is worth examining whether or not you want to speak up about it. That's very true. We see a lot of people who just complain and I don't think they even know what they want. They're just complaining to complain. So what advice would you give to someone who whether or not it's a coworker or friend or a partner who is with someone who is complaining to them and they don't even know what they want. But as that person, how are you supposed to help them if the other person can't communicate effectively with you? So what advice would you give to the person on the receiving end of the complaint? Um, well, my advice to people is that you can't prevent the other person from complaining to you, but you can contain it. So if you find that somebody is complaining to you all the time, like let's say a spouse or family members or people you're living with, roommates, then I, I have suggested things like a complaint jar or a once a week meeting. And when they start complaining outside of that, you just say to them, we'll talk about this on Thursday so that at least everybody has a place to put it. Put it on the complaint list or write it down, put it in the complaint jar, put it in the complaint log, and we'll go through all of your complaints on this day at this time. Otherwise, it could permeate every interaction and it could be very frustrating. In the workplace, it's a little more challenging, but I think you can put boundaries around yourself and when you interact with your coworkers. And if you find that someone is always complaining to you, um, you might want to limit your interaction with them if possible, or you can similarly ask them to only um, meet with you at a certain time of day. So, oh, I just need to finish what I'm doing and let's catch up at, at the coffee break. And then at least you know that the complaints are all coming in one little batch. So now when it comes to being a leader, I think growing up, we all have this image that a leader just assigns tasks and tells you what to do. And that's that. How would you now define what a successful, great leader looks like? How do you think that should look like today? I absolutely think a leader is someone who listens, number one, and who is able to put themselves in their workers' shoes and see things from all different points of view. That's number two. I think it's important to be open to suggestions and, and areas for improvement. That's the third thing. I think you can slow your pace a little bit and not be reactive and respond to everything. I think hearing what people have to say and responding to their concerns can be two different activities. And I think a strong leader knows that. So what would you like readers to take away from your book? The most important thing I would like readers to take away from my book is that if you start complaining about the small things, you will build your muscle so that when you need to complain about the big things, you'll be ready and your voice will be there for you. So overall, this show is about living your most authentic life. Everyone has a different idea of what that means to them. So for you, what does living your most authentic life mean? Living your most authentic life to me is constantly challenging yourself and checking in with yourself and saying, does this reflect my core values? Am I being true to myself right now? So for someone who is not used to asking for what they want, and they're so afraid of conflict that even the idea of sending back food terrifies them, 
what tips would you give to them to start to slowly get comfortable asking for what they want and communicating their needs effectively? The first thing is to know that even if you're not doing it perfectly, even if you're not speaking to the right person, even if you don't speak the right words, if you stand up for yourself, you can change the world. If you stay quiet, nothing is ever going to change. And it definitely can be hard because it's easy to be surrounded by people who may make you feel bad for that. I know it's not too common, but I'm sure we've all experienced that where someone's made you feel guilty for, you know, asking asking for something you want and maybe calling you bossy or too much or a lot to handle, whatever it is. And so how important is it to, first of all, surround yourself with people who get it, but even then, even if that's not the case, to just really believe in yourself when others don't support you in that way? I agree with you. I think it's valid to believe in yourself even if other people don't support that and to understand that as you're finding your voice, other people may react to it because of what this brings out in them, but you keep your focus and you keep your eyes on living your authentic self, and that means fun your internal and your external voice. I definitely agree that it inspires others to do the same as well. So although it's such an unpredictable time with everything going on now, can you share with us what's coming up next for you and your work from what you know and where can listeners give you a follow? What's coming up next for me and my work is so unpredictable now that we're in this coronavirus state. Most of my public appearances have been unfortunately canceled. So the best thing is to find me online at Amy Fish Writes. I'm usually on Instagram at Amy Fish Writes. I also have a Facebook page, Amy Fish Writer Tweet, but I always forget to tweet. So that's probably not the best place to find me. And my website is So thank you so much for being here and for being an example of someone who does represent living your most authentic life and being true to what you need. So once again, thank you for being here, Amy. I appreciate your time. I hope you stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. You too. There were so many great takeaways from this interview. As a people pleaser, I'd like to say a past people pleaser. I think I've grown out of it in many ways. I still have my moments, but especially in the past, I used to be so afraid of asking for what I want in certain settings. I did not want to start conflict. I did not want to seem like a rude person, especially when you're in a restaurant, for example, and you know you see they're working so hard. And I see people who are just so rude, blatantly rude, saying, take this back, it's a messed up order, and just yelling at the server. And the thing is, it does. you don't have to be like that. Like Amy said, you can ask for what you want respectfully in a nice way. And I think I just had that image in my head of, if I ask for what I want, I'm going to seem like that really rude person. And so over time, I've definitely grown in that way. Even recently, I was at brunch with my boyfriend and I asked for a coffee, something as simple. You know, this is just an example when it comes to food, but it's a good example because like I said with Amy, if you can't ask for a food or a coffee that you wanted, how are you going to ask for a raise or for that promotion or for bigger things in life? So going back to that, I 
I ordered a latte and I didn't ask for almond milk and I always ask for almond milk because it's easier on my stomach so I forgot to ask for it and I felt so bad. I felt like oh maybe I shouldn't ask, it's rude, it's not worth it and then I asked nicely and said I'm so sorry I meant to order a latte with almond milk. It was my mistake, I apologize and he went and he fixed it and he was so nice about it and I know that's something so simple but That can be hard for many people. And for me, that's something that used to be hard because I just didn't, I also just didn't want to make, didn't want to make people who are working so hard like that go out of their way. You know, I was going to pay for that latte. I didn't want to drink it and have a really bad stomach ache. So, you know, I think there's a way to be kind and ask for what you want. And then other times you have to be more straightforward. And like we discussed with Amy, you can't control how people react. No matter what, there will be people who are more sensitive or take things more personally, and you can't control that. You can only control how you present something, how you express it, but you can't control how other people react. And I also like that we talked about complaining effectively because the word complaining obviously has a very bad rep. Even saying that, I feel weird because I just imagine a victim mentality. But the way Amy expressed it was really was really eye-opening for me. The idea of complaining effectively does not have to mean complaining and being a victim, complaining for no reason. It means complaining for results, which basically means asking for what you need and asking for things to be changed. So if you're going to complain about a situation but you're not willing to work to change it, then that's just not complaining effectively. That We have a lot more control than we think. We have the ability to ask for what we want. We complain and think, oh, I wish he would just text me. I wish he would just ask me out. She would just ask me out. I wish the professor would help me out with this assignment. We'd be surprised if we simply asked, if we were just straightforward and asked what we could get out of our lives. You don't always get what you want and what you need, but if you don't ask, you will never know. This is definitely a great topic to reflect on, in my opinion. I am excited to share Amy's book. Her Instagram is at amyfishwrites if you'd like to give her a follow, and her website is amyfishwrites.com. So make sure to check out the description of this episode and give her a follow. You can also follow me at tara.mont on Instagram or at trustandthrive, which is the Instagram for the show. So thank you all so much for being here. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're asking for what you want and what you need and knowing what you deserve. Even if that is from home, there are ways to communicate. And so know that you can be a kind, considerate, respectful person and also ask for what you want, what you need and what you deserve. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Please stay safe, everyone. Please take some time for yourself whatever that looks like to you. And I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday.